What is up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fundamental Health Podcast. I got an amazing review on one of our supplements from Heart and Soil that I want to tell you guys about because I think that one of the most popular episodes I've ever done was with Robert English. You guys can go back and listen to that one. And it was about hair. People love hair, skin, and nails. It's how we express our radiant health. And um, I got an amazing review from Madison M recently about our skin, hair, and nail supplement. And she says, this is the best hair supplement I've ever tried. Madison says, I've taken so many different collagen supplements on the market, but barely saw any results, if any at all. I've been taking the hard and soil supplements for a few months, the skin, hair, and nails, and now my hair has become so thick and long. This is just super exciting to hear. So skin, hair, and nails is our sort of special collagen blend. It has trachea and scapula cartilage in it, which is different than most other collagen on the market. In fact, different than all other collagen on the market because these are special types of collagen uh, from the grass-fed, grass-finished, regeneratively raised animals in New Zealand that have been shown to help with wound healing and tissue regeneration and really help spur growth of skin, hair, and nails. Um, studied by John Pruden. So it's different than hide and hoof collagen, which is what's mostly on the market for collagens and hydrolyzed collagens. It's a very special type of collagen along with um, liver and bone marrow. So I agree with Madison. I think it's a really special, powerful collagen supplement. If you guys are looking for something to uh, really improve the quality of your skin, the quality of your hair, the quality of your nails, check out Skin Hair and Nails from us at Heart and Soil. You can check us out heartandsoil.co. And we are all about helping you reclaim your birthright to radical health. And just so stoked, we got a shout out on Joe Rogan's podcast recently. Um, want to give uh, thanks to Joe and Andrew Huberman for mentioning us on that show. So this podcast is with my buddy Sagar, who has a political show called Breaking Points. As you'll hear in this podcast, I've never really been into politics, but now so much science has become politicized that I felt forced to understand what was going on in the political sphere and with questions around COVID and lab leaks and what's going on. Like, I don't, I didn't know where to turn for unbiased, sort of bipartisan, nonpartisan news. And Sagar and Crystal really do a fantastic job with this. They've both been on Joe Rogan's podcast a couple of times. And I thought, I've never talked about politics on this show. And this show isn't really about politics with Sagar. It's more about communication and how we consume media and how we get information from the media. And so, um, yeah, and we talk about the lab leak and we talk about how mainstream media is really just about separating us as humans. I just love what they're doing. And I'm appreciative that Sagar came on the podcast. I think it's a really interesting conversation. Even if you're not into politics, I think you will get a ton out of this because we go into all sorts of interesting rabbit holes and talk about how different current events are connected and why it's so difficult to get information in 2021 and how to live as a healthy, full human um, and be informed in 2021. So enjoy this one with Sagar. I want to give a shout out also to my sponsors. Gotta, gotta thank these guys. You guys know that I've talked a lot about sleep. I love getting good sleep and I'm pretty stoked about what 8sleep is doing. They have this pod pro cover or mattress. So there's so many myths out there about sleeping that you need to be at a certain temperature that are not true, but your body temperature definitely needs to change throughout the night. Uh, and that affects your circadian rhythm and your sleep quality. If you heard Andrew Huberman, who's definitely coming on my podcast soon, 
excited about that uh, on Rogan's podcast. He talked about temperature, circadian rhythm, and sleep quality, but the average mattress just absorbs your body. He, it messes up your circadian rhythm in the middle of the night by causing night sweats and restlessness. So the Pod Pro by 8 Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. It comes in the form of both a mattress and a cover. You can go as low as 55 or as hot as 110. It adjusts each side of the bed, bedroom according to biometrics, sleep stages, bedroom temperature. It's like AI for your sleep when you're sleeping indoors in an environment on a mattress that humans are not used to. Eight sleep users fall asleep 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, get overall more restful sleep. It's loved by CEOs, pro athletes, et cetera. So go to eightsleep.com front slash carnivoremd, check out the pod pro and save 150 bucks at checkout. That is eightsleep.com, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com, carnivoremd, save 150 bucks at checkout. Also want to give a shout out to my friends at Primal Pastures. I love supporting regenerative farms. Primal Pastures was founded in 2012 uh, around a family table between a couple of brothers and their father. They wanted to pursue better health through diet for themselves and their family. They respect nature a lot. Um, they're quick to acknowledge that nature is smarter than we are, which is something I completely agree with. And it's smarter than science in some ways. It's an interesting idea that... Um, everything that they do at Primal Pastures is aimed at creating a natural habitat for the animals to thrive in. It's, it's totally in line with regenerative principles, and that's what it's about. They're also about transparency, uh, no confusing or misreading labels. They believe customers are entitled to know what is in their food, how it's raised, and who raised it. All the animals are pasture-raised, grass-fed, grass-finished. Um, they call it beyond organic. No vaccines, no antibiotics, no hormones, no growth supplements non-GMO, soy-free, certified organic feed when they do feed it to like chickens, for instance, and there are no exceptions. The chickens are never provided grains or corn in their supplemental feed and delivers anywhere to your doorstep in the contiguous U.S. They offer chicken, beef, lamb, pork, fish, honey, pastured bone broth, organs, coffee, okay, and more. So check them out. You can receive a free farm tour of Primal Pastures with every purchase using the code CARNIVOREMD. If you don't live locally, it's transferable to anyone you know. But check them out at primalpastures.com and support regenerative agriculture. I also love to give a shout out to my friends at White Oak Pastures, whiteoakpastures.com. These are really the OGs of regenerative agriculture in Bluffton, Georgia, doing Sixth generation, 120 years in the family of farming, the last 25 plus years are regenerative and they do amazing stuff. Their meat is out of this world. They have beef, lamb, goat. They have corn and soy-free chickens, which they did for us. They did because I asked them to for this audience. So you can check out all that stuff there. They also have organs, suet, meat, and they're awesome people. Give them a call, say hi to Jenny, say hi to whoever is there and use the code CARNIVOREMD at White Oak Pastures for 10% off your first order. They've been sending me a lot of their new goat stuff, which is amazing, and lamb. I love them. Really good people. Will and Jenny Harris are the kind of people we should support. Remember that we can't abstain from voting with our dollars, with our food. We either are voting for Monsanto and Cargo and Nestle and multinational corporations, or you are supporting small regenerative farmers. And farms like Primal Pastures, White Oak, and Belcampo are a part of this. So Belcampo is in Northern California. You can check them out, belcampo.com. These guys also got a shout out on the recent Rogan episode. 
I um, am in Texas right now for a short trip and I got a bunch of Uruguayan ribeyes from uh, Belcampo. They're amazing. They have ribeyes raised in Northern California regeneratively and ribeyes raised in Uruguay regeneratively. And I like them both, but I had a bunch of Uruguayan ribeyes and they were so good. We cooked them up uh, on the Blazing Bull Grill here at Hardened Soil and had a big party and they are amazing. So check out belcampo.com, B-E-L-C-A-M-P-O.com. Use the code CarnivoreMD for 20% off, I believe. They're very generous with that. They have suet, they have organ meats, their steaks are out of this world, you guys, and um, they are doing good work. And they have been really, really upfront and did a very strong effort to correct um, the issues that happened in the Santa Monica store. And I really respect them for that. They, they definitely believe in what we believe and are a part of moving the regenerative agriculture uh, fire forward. So check them out, belcampo.com. All right, on to the podcast with Sagar. Stay radical, guys. Sagar, thanks for coming on the podcast, my man. Hey, thanks for having me, dude. I'm a big fan, so it's, it's cool to do. I was telling you before the podcast, yeah. I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of Crystals. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing at Breaking Points. I want to talk about all that today. But I think that when people see this podcast, I just want to set some you know, expectations for people and, and, and make a couple of uh, admissions. And the first thing I have to admit is that I don't know jack about politics, uh, nor have I ever really cared to in my life until now, uh, mm. when a lot of science has become very politicized. For the majority of my life, I've sort of lived in this blissful ignorance around politics and thought, you know what, I'm a doctor, I'm trying to understand human health, and I don't have time or mental energy to really understand all these politics and international relations and all this stuff. But in the last four years, things totally changed, and especially in the last year and a half. And now that I am on social media, and as you and I uh, talked about before we started recording, science has become politicized and our freedom to say certain things about science or just about anything has become very politicized. I've increasingly felt the need to understand politics, but we're not gonna talk about politics in this podcast. The reason I wanted to have you on is because I think you and your co-host on Breaking Points, Crystal, are in a really unique position to help my audience understand how humans are communicating in 2021. So let's just start there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Breaking Points, why you guys moved from the Hill, which was your previous show, yep. and, and I just, I love the mission of your current podcast and show. And so I think that if we start with that, people will really understand what we're gonna talk about today. Perfect, yeah, I mean, I, I came up in a pretty traditional media environment and so did my co-host Crystal. So I was you know, a junior reporter, I covered the Pentagon, I covered the White House, I was a White House correspondent um, under the Trump administration. Then I got that opportunity to host that show with Crystal. That was kind of like my clean break point. So I was still in corporate media, but it was entrepreneurial. I was like, we can do something here. We can build something here. We can, I was so sick of it. I'm a young person, but like even within just like five years of working in the industry, I just thought this is all BS. I mean, everybody is chasing the same stories. Most of the politics that we're talking about don't matter to people's lives whatsoever. Oh, and by the way, the country, which I love, is falling apart. Like People are hate each other so much. I'm like, what is going on? Increasingly, I came to believe it was the media and primarily the media who was responsible for that. So that was kind of the ethos of our show from the beginning, is trying to understand the perspectives of disaffected people and of really disenfranchised people. I don't mean that in the political sense. I mean that in the terms of 
I call it small P and capital P politics. People like small P politics. Small P politics means what you're talking about. What does it mean to be a human in a society? What does it mean to communicate? Hey, how is my government run? You know, people who don't like to think about it every day, but they're civically minded. Capital P politics is posting on Instagram about, you know, whatever social cause and be like, donate this, screw that. Capital P politics is watching CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. It's like the political industrial complex. That is what's ripping the whole country apart. And I think that that is like part of why we left the Hill was because we didn't want to be tethered to a corporate environment. And we believed really fundamentally that the audience was there for us and not necessarily for any brand name at the very top. And I think that we bet right. I've been, it's been amazing kind of to see the response. And I think that what it all comes down to is what does it mean for us to live together? And I know that sounds hokey, but it's actually pretty important because, and we should talk about this on your show, which is we see these top-down narratives that are being pushed by people who don't know anything about what they're talking about. It's purely ideological capture. But the crazy part is, is that they run everything. And so you have to ask yourself, like, how did that happen? I mean, I've been seeing this, like, war on grilling right now, and I'm just like, what? where the hell did this come from? Like, the war on meat has been there for probably, like, what, five to ten years, really accelerated in the last five years. But, like, when I see, what was it, Bon Appetit being like, we're going to ban recipes, I was like, whoa, whoa. I was like, this is crazy. Or that um, five-star restaurant in New York City that was like, we're just going to be, I was like, okay, something's going on here, right? So it's not, and I want to make sure that people know this, it's not a conspiracy. People don't sit down and they're like, we're all going to come together and come up with these batshit crazy takes, which know nothing about human nutrition. It's all like ideology that gets fed in and then it feeds on top of one another and it becomes this spiral. And if you're a normal person like me or you, you're like, wait, what, what is happening? And I think I kind of view my role, even though you take a lot of flack for I take a lot of flack for it, as being like, no, like I, I try to think of myself as like a mob lawyer or spokespeople for just normal people who want to go about their lives and don't have the time to say, what the hell is going on? Like, why is, why are people telling me things that I've been doing my entire life are now bad? What? Like, how is that even possible? It's, it's really crazy. And it's, I think, like you said, <clears throat> it's worse in the last few years. And since I've become one of the many champions of meat and, and animal foods, which I see as completely evolutionarily consistent and able to be produced within an ecosystem's uh, cognizant or conscientious manner that's actually good for the planet, and I see all these counter narratives, I just think, okay, suddenly I need to understand politics. And I think that's yep. a little bit of small P politics and a little bit it of big is. P politics. Yep. But that suddenly it's, it's something I cannot continue to be ignorant about and I have to understand how it's happening. And then it's also bleeding into the way that we communicate about this. And as humans, the way that we form communities, the way that we exchange ideas, there, is very, there are very few things less human than that, less fundamental to our nature as humans than that. And because we are also separated now, we do it through digital media, right? Like you and I are doing this through, through digital media across thousands of miles, tens of thousands of, well, not tens of thousands, but thousands mm -hmm. of miles. And, and so our communication has become negatively affected in some ways. It, there, it introduces this element of 
uh, corruption, quote unquote, not, not necessarily, um, it, 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 it's like the broader sense of corruption, like the mess, it's like a game of telephone across wires yeah. because I'm not looking at you in our tribe, in the jungle, in the savannah and telling you an idea. There's an impala over there. Let's go over there and hunt the impala. Let's bring back some berries. Like there's a, let's make a fire, right? There's a storm coming. Like the, the way that we used to make, communicate had none of this, none of these intermediary, um, none of these inter intermediary devices. And now we're communicating through Instagram and we're communicating through Facebook and we're communicating through Twitter. And we're also getting messages that are coming through us through quote unquote corporate media news outlets, which are controlled by many of the same political, financial interests. And that has led to a trend that I think is really, really concerning. So I just, I so appreciate what you guys are doing and breaking away from a controlled media. And now you're completely independent, right? It's, it's almost like, um, and I, I think that you'll, you know, I don't mean this to be like hyperbole, but I really think that you guys are, are becoming like the, the model of Joe Rogan for media news, which is freaking fantastic. And, and I, I know so. you'll appreciate yeah, I would right? love that. <laughs> <laughs> like something that's, that's a little less corrupted, right? Something that's a little more clear and we can understand what's going on. And on breaking points, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, you and Crystal are sort of two sides of the coin. You guys both lean different directions in your mm -hmm. politics, but it's amazing how you can both be honest about how, what your political leanings are and accept the shortcomings of the party that may be associated with your political leanings on both sides of the equation. And, and that is cool because this, this podcast is not meant to be about partisan politics or any of that stuff. And I don't know that I would identify as either Republican or Democrat. There are so many complex issues. That's normal. That's normal. Mm -hmm. Most people- Is that normal? Like that. Am I normal, Sagar? Yes, that's, that's <laughs> what I want people to know. You don't have to be doctrinaire. This is what I mean. Like people do not wake up and look at the Democratic Party checklist and go, okay, I'm this, 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 and this. I'm all for it. You know how most people do? Most people hold contradictory opinions all the time, don't even know that they're contradictory. And whenever it comes time to vote, they usually vote based upon whether they like the person who is running, um, whether they feel that the top issue um, is more closely aligned. So for example, in the, uh, what's a caricature in American politics? That all Republicans are pro-life, right? That's just one. Uh, one third of people who voted for Trump in 2016 were pro-choice. What? How did that happen, right? Nobody talks about that. Um, if you look at a lot of the new votes in 2020, a lot of it was over crime. A lot of these people are actually pro-universal health care. They're pro, uh, they're like pro-gun. Um, a lot of them are like, I don't know, very socially liberal in respects that you wouldn't even imagine, but they care a lot about crime. So they voted, you know, Republican. Same thing on the Democratic side, actually. A lot of people who are very, very fiscally conservative, they voted for Joe Biden. Why? Because they were like, I just don't like Trump. So once again, like, this is normal. You don't have to identify with anything. I personally am very politically homeless. Yes, I'm right leaning. Does that mean the Republican Party represents all my views? Absolutely not. Um, and even in terms of identifying politicians, like no one politician should identify you. We are three country of 330 million. Like we are a vast, you know, there's only 535 representatives in the United States Congress. And so when you think about it that way, you actually take some, uh, you take some heat off your shoulders because societally we're conditioned to be like, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat. No, you're not. That's crazy. As you were just saying, like in the Savannah or whatever, I mean, what it is is like a complex interplay 
of dialogue. And if I would say to critique our current system, on the one hand, this is amazing. You're in Costa Rica. I live in Washington, D.C. We get to talk. Also, I've never even met you before. I've never talked to you before. I feel like I know you. I engage with your content. I watch your videos. Hadza, like I listened to your interview with Joe Rogan. So I'm like, oh, this is like Dr. Paul Saladino. Like I know this guy. Take this guy's vitamins, right? So like it's like weird because I do feel like a connection. Um, at the same time, it's very perverse. I mean, textual communication, there's no nuance. There's no context. Like, you ever gotten a text from somebody like, is yeah, like, it go one way or the other way? And you're, you don't know what they're saying. They're like, do they mean it bad? Or what if they respond in a short message? You're like, oh, man, like, he's, maybe he's busy. You don't know. Like, it's just these, all these, these complications that come into play there, which I think are perverting politics and communication. We've had such a rapid change. Part of the reason I appreciate your work so much is I've become obsessed with a lot of what you talk about, like the remembering return, like over the last five years. I've lived in an urban environment now for 10 years, and it's just it's not right. Like something's not, it's just not right. Like there's, there's not enough space. There's too many people. Uh, there's a lot of groupthink. The food is not exactly right. Everybody has these ideas where nobody knows they come from, but everybody kind of believes the same thing. And I've been like, okay, like, I don't think this is the way we're supposed to live. And so I've been really obsessed in the last like five years of like reading and thinking about not just nutrition, nutrition is just one part of it, but like an entire lifestyle that was lost basically with the industrial revolution of which we lived for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, which is the way that we're supposed to live. And I think that that, once you start to understand it this way, a lot of our social pathologies, our political pathologies, they all start to make a lot more sense. And you're like, oh, well, if people just changed a little bit, not a lot, like just a little, you can, you can make a pretty significant impact on your life. I love what you said there. A lot of people, myself included in the past, I am not innocent here, hold opinions that are common in society and we don't even know where they come from. Yeah. We haven't done the work to actually verify these. I know you're interested in Bitcoin. I recently was orange-pilled, quote-unquote, by one of my friends here. And the, the, the saying there, which I will repeat at the risk of sounding like a, uh, a, a psychophant or a poser, Bitcoiner, is trust, you know, don't trust, verify. Yeah. And very few people do that with so many of these hot-button issues, whether it's meat being bad for the planet. And, and, and I'm going to enumerate more issues now, which, and I'm just saying these issues is going to trigger some people listening. And this is the whole point of this conversation. And, and, you know, before this, I was listening to a bunch of your stuff on breaking points. I was listening to Joe Rogan's conversation with Glenn Greenwald. I am also embarrassed to admit that I didn't know who Glenn Greenwald was okay. until, no, until no, I heard, <laughs> until I heard you guys talk about him yeah. and I'm listening to Glenn Greenwald on Joe Rogan. And they're talking about the fact that there are so many issues, climate change, vaccines, mm -hmm. right? Gender politics, you know, that you cannot talk about, you cannot question the mainstream narrative without being ostracized and labeled as an anti-X, right? Or a, uh, an X denier right. or a bigot. And that to me is just super scary that you can't say, should biological males be allowed to compete against biological females just because they claim to have, they, they identify as female? Like, can't we just ask that question without being called bigot? Can't we just ask the question, are, are we really sure that 
anthropogenic climate change is real? Like, do we really fully understand that? I'm, I'm now a climate denier because and I asked the question. to what extent? To what extent? That's actually the real question. In my opinion, it's the to what extent question. Right, right. Yeah, and, right. And then, like, what about vaccines? Are we, are we really sure that we understand the immunology of vaccines and more specifically today, the COVID vaccination? And do we really have a good sense of how to weigh risks and benefits? And, and are we sure everyone on the planet should get vaccinated right this moment with the COVID vaccine? Like, even by asking those questions, not even making statements, not even making value judgments, I'm now labeled an anti-vaxxer, a climate denier, and a bigot. That yep. to me is crazy. And I'm also being censored. Not that I'm asking all those questions on social media, because I would already be canceled if I chose more than one issue, but uh, to, to, to kind of poke the bear, as it were. But like, and, and now there are social media networks that are censoring people for even asking questions. Yeah. And so from your perspective, how did we get here? Do you have we a got, sense of that? We got here through a series of very important accidents. We restructured all of human communication in 2007 with the iPhone. So people did text and have emails with BlackBerry, not even close to at scale. Basically, 2007 onward changed everything. Mobile, textual communication, predominantly done on your iPhone, radically restructured how we changed everything. Pile on top of that, apps which are competing for your attention. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. The primary modes which we consume information are algorithmically determined to kind of piss you off. And here's the thing, it's not their fault, it's ours. <laughs> like We like that content. The things that gets us going, and I can tell you this personally, what gets me going? When I see something like, man, this pisses me off, and a click like. We're like, man, and I set and I send it to somebody. I'm like, can you believe this shit? I can't believe something. You have to stop. That is, that is the birth of everything. And then when you have a couple of companies, in a way I feel for them. Look, they have got hundreds of millions of messages moving per second on their platforms. So some of it becomes algorithmically determined. But somebody's got to determine what the algorithm is going to take down and not. A lot of these people have a pervading ideology at the very, very top about what is true and what is not. And then it's not just that. This is where I blame, and this is why I talk about elite structure a lot, which is that just because only 14% of the population believes something completely crazy, you could say, oh, well, that's fine, 86%. No, because those 14% control everything. Media, Hollywood, uh, the presidency, the social media. So what happens is, I mean, the lab leak theory is the perfect example of this, which is that you saw something floated, it was determined false, falsely by the media. Then it migrated to, well, the media said it was false, so the social media people say that they can censor it. And then people who are asking legitimate, and it turns out the correct questions, are censored. It's like a three-step ideological ladder. So it's immense concentration, it's a total radical restructure of human communication, and then it's ideology more than anything. I want people to understand that. And look, I am the first one to talk about financial incentive, to talk about why corporate, you know, corporate entities or whatever are formed in the ways that they are and why it creates incentives to push things. That is all true. But ideology is king. It, it trumps everything. Um, and it's something that we really have to contend with. And part of the reason why I think everything has rapidly shifted is because the academy and kind of elite circles and all of that has changed so much in the last, I mean, look, I'm 29. 
Like the college I went to is not the same college that you go to today. And like, that's kind of crazy. Like if you think about the, our speech patterns, I was in a fraternity. I don't think you do that anymore. Or, or at least in the way that, uh, the way that you talked or the way that you guys behave, like all that stuff, very basic. And, and actually the way that I would say that we talked and behave in 2000 and I guess 12 is like when I was in one is not that dissimilar to 1993. So human behavior changed so dramatically in the last 10 years in terms of accepted speech, accepted behavior, in terms of what was expected. If you want to get a job, you better not ever tweet or Facebook or post anything contrary to the narrative. So you have all these like private structures and restrictions that have been created where people are not saying how they feel. This is very bad because it makes people really pissed off. And you can see this um, whenever people behave an 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 anonymously. I'm sure you see this in your stuff, Paul. Some of the stuff that you'll post, which you know is courageous, that's gonna get the most likes or shares, or whatever. And it's not just because it's controversial, it's because people are dying for somebody to just say it. I, I've always thought that was what our, our success at Breaking Points was, is somebody just needed to figure out how to make the economics work such that you can just tell the truth. Like, some, everybody just wants to hear somebody who's on the right say, hey, yeah, some Republicans are full of shit. That, that's all. They've been waiting for that. But Fox Business Model will not allow that. CNN and MSNBC won't allow it the other way. And, and you just had nothing else. So it's like this very strange creation of forces which are, which are keeping legitimate dissent and all that down. And that's so bad for society, I can't even get started in terms of what that means for all of us. On the podcast with Joe, I heard Glenn Greenwald say that many journalists had reached out to him and sort of said, thank you for saying this, but they yeah. were scared shitless. Yeah, they're scared. To say things, saying, if I said what you are saying, Glenn, and for people don't know, I didn't know, again, like I said, until you know recently, Glenn Greenwald was involved in breaking the Edward Snowden story and many other yep. stories, and he, you know, he lives in Brazil, and, and he feels like he's become uncancelable. And, and thank God for, for Joe Rogan and, and, and you guys, being in positions where we are uncancelable because these other journalists from whatever news media outlet were reaching out to Glenn saying, I couldn't say those things that you're saying because I would never work again. Yeah. And when we are in that position, when, when something, and I'm not sure what it is, that's kind of the question that we're asking in this podcast together, you and I, um, like what, there's this nebulous force that's got us all kind of in, in a straitjacket or, or wants to get us all in a straitjacket and is saying, don't say that. And, and many people feel this and they, they fear they will be canceled. They fear they will be not employable, that their children will you know, have a bleak future because they can't get a job because they actually spoke their mind and spoke out against the narrative. These, this is all about being a human being, dude. So like these people are humans, just like everybody else. I know a lot of them, I, a lot of them are former colleagues and they actually reach out to me too and be like, man, I love your show. And I'll be like, really, you? Um, and they're <laughs> like, oh yeah, man, I hate it in here. I can't believe that so-and-so did this or whatever, but they'll never say it publicly. They have to pay their bills. They have mortgages, they have kids. They wanna take a vacation. A lot of them don't want to do what you and I do, man. You run a business, and so do I. This shit is hard. <laughs> like it's actually pretty hard. Um, I, you know, I'm I I was good good at media. I didn't know I had to deal with like taxes and and all these other things. But it's worth it to me in order to learn all that stuff so that I can have my independence. Same with same with Crystal. That being said, a lot of people want to revert to the mean and do the easiest thing. And that, I think, is the really pernicious force. And this is why corporatized media and concentration of media is really dangerous. And I talk about this in the context of Bezos all the time. Bezos 
by owning the Washington Post, he didn't just buy the Washington Post. He bought the entire D.C. media press corps. Because the thing is, if you're in elite media in D.C., there are only three places, three places to work. Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. So even if you work at the Journal and the Times, sometimes you want mobility, man. Like, who doesn't want the ability to leave or not? But you don't have that many options. You want to go to the Washington Post. So let me tell you something. If you're at the New York Times and you write a bombshell story about Bezos not paying taxes or whatever, you're never going to get a job at the Washington Post. And, like, that's bad, right? Like, think about that. And I remember, I remember talking a lot about this while Bloomberg was running for president because— Bloomberg owns Bloomberg Media, which is actually one of the biggest financial news organizations in the world, which means that all of the financial journalists in the world, there's only a couple places to work. Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg. That's kind of it. Reuters sometimes, you know, if you're like B tier or whatever. Um, so if you, that, once again, if you're going to do a real investigation into Bloomberg, you're not going to do very well. And all these interconnected uh, relationships make it so that it becomes real dicey real quickly in order to speak out on issues that are powerful. Then add in ideology, which is what I'm talking about here. Add in that, and let's say you tweet something counter to the narrative on Black Lives Matter, or you tweet something counter to the narrative on uh, yeah, what you were talking about with gender and sports. You're done. You will not get employed. It's not just about where you're at. You may survive um, your current job, although they can always make up a reason to fire you because of some internal staff revolt. You're done in terms of everybody else. And like I said, I know these people because I used to be in the White House basement with all of them whenever the mics were off and the cameras were off. And like, they're all friends. They all know each other. They all hang out. It's like a very, 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 very small group that is constantly looking out for one another. But that's actually bad because they're not looking out for you. Technically, their job is to look out for you. Is to explain. They're supposed to explain the Snowden story to you. You're supposed to have faith that the Snowden documents and what you learned about that was reported correctly. And I think that we've all learned over the last decade in particular that almost most of what we are being told has a bent to it, one way or the other. And that bent is so corrosive to being able to understand information. I completely agree. And it's, it's been eye-opening in so many ways for me uh, over the last few months and really disheartening. And, and that's why it was so cool to find what you guys are doing, thinking, where the heck am I going to get my news? Where the heck am I going to understand things? Who's going to be thinking this way and connecting the dots? Um, yes. So let me ask you this question. You know, Joe had Ira Glazer on his show from the ACLU. Yep. And, you know, I'm just connecting the dots in my own head because he talked about this with Glenn Greenwald on the recent podcast. And, you know, Joe made this really great point that traditionally the ACLU is kind of a liberal leaning type place. And yeah, they not are that the, long ago. They used to be the ones fighting for freedom of speech. They were defending the right of Nazis and neo Nazis to have a march in. Or was it Iowa or I, I, Ohio, Skokie or something like that? Yep. And, uh, you know, it was like, what? And so, and, and I loved what Ira said on Joe's podcast, which was once you limit any sort of speech, they will come for you. It is a slippery mm -hmm. slope. And I think this is the thing that we are all struggling with is, well, we, we have to limit hate speech and we have to limit, um, you know, uh, racially, you know, charged speech. And we have right. to limit speech that incites violence. But now because we've given people those powers, they're coming for me and they're coming for you. And they're coming for me when I say, 
are we sure the COVID vaccination doesn't have side effects? Could it possibly be causing myocarditis for some people? Could it possibly be causing miscarriages? Are we sure there's not a lab leak? Like, what about the, and then like, you know, just, just wait because, you know, lined up on my podcast schedule is a series of podcasts questioning climate change. And so suddenly <laughs> you, can't, you can't talk about these things at all. And I don't understand how, and, and I'll just say this because Glenn Greenwald said this, his perspective was that somehow this liberal, and I'm not, I'm not knocking liberal politics here, like we talked about, this is not a partisan podcast. Mm -hmm. He was just, he kind of said that somehow this liberal ide ideology became conformed to the norm. And, and, and I think we must all be honest and admit that this is a liberal, this is kind of a liberal push in media to make it more conformist. Am I Absolutely. thinking about that properly? You are thinking about this correctly. And this is where I would encourage people to think about what I've been talking about, money and ideology. So here's the thing. The ACLU was basically, I wouldn't call it defunct, but they weren't at the level that they used to be under Obama. Obama was president. There wasn't a lot to fight about, all of that. The greatest thing that ever happened to these people was Donald Trump. The ACLU, and I, I, I want to make sure I get this right, I believe that they raised over a billion dollars, okay? A billion, with the B, in terms of fighting back against Trump's policies. Once you open the money gates like that, you're beholding to those donors that way, man. And you cannot go against the narrative. And those people, they are not free speech absolutists like the old ACLU. Those people hate Trump. They think he's a Nazi. They think that if you stand up for actual Nazis, that we're done. Why am I giving you my money? And then what happens? You start hiring more people that conform to this view, and you end up with a situation where I saw a quote in the New York Times story, I actually wrote about this, from I think it was the former racial justice director at a ACLU who was like, well, freedom of speech is awfully convenient for white people or something like that. And I was like, whoa, dude, like, whoa. Like, you have this guy who's at the ACLU. Look, Noam Chomsky said it best. If you're not for freedom of speech for people that you despise, you're not actually for freedom of speech. It's actually pretty simple. Um, you know, like, if you're for only for freedom of speech for people you agree with, you're not for freedom of speech. Now, whenever it comes to content moderation, I agree with you, which is that the real issue, I actually really have a nuanced view on this. Look, like, no content moderation doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't want child porn on the internet. Right? Like, nobody actually wants a zero moderated internet, which is like, actually, like, child porn is illegal and, and like, people who do it should be arrested and thrown in jail. Like, obviously. And all that should be taken down. Sex trafficking, all this type of stuff. Everybody is for content moderation in some way. The problem is, is that whenever it comes to politics, is it's all a black box. Nobody knows why one thing gets censored and why something doesn't. There's no consistency. It's just up to these mostly idiots in Silicon Valley who are like, oh, well, you know, we're all, this is terrible. Like whenever they censored, the real Rubicon moment for me is whenever they blocked the link to the Hunter Biden laptop story from the New York Post. I was like, this is, and once again, you don't, you can be a Democrat and you can say like, listen, that's crazy. The New York Post is one of the oldest newspapers in America. I think they've been publishing since before the Civil War. Like, if they get it wrong, Hunter is welcome to sue the New York Post for defamation. Hasn't happened, by the way. Um, in terms of, uh, like, look, there are legal mechanisms in place. If you publish false information, you can sue them. And you can, you'll win if you can prove it. Um, but it's not up to the Twitter to become the editorial person. To take it back to Glenn, 
under Twitter's policy that they implemented around blocking hacked materials, that would have meant that they would have blocked stories um, from the Snowden documents. Would we be better off as American citizens that the media was blocked and that the government gets to determine what's hacked and what's not? No, no, no. This goes completely against the ethos of the Pentagon Papers, of freedom of speech, and more. So, like, everything that has happened in this way, I think, has really just made it such that we're living in, like, crazy times, as you were saying. I mean, I think what really, really, really bothered me is the ivermectin thing with Brett Weinstein. And I was—and look, like, I've got two doses of Moderna. I feel fine. You know, like, I got vaccinated. Everybody knows vaccinated. All out on the table. In general— I think it's probably good. Um, that all being said, the question that Dr. Corey was bringing up with Brett Weinstein about Ivermectin, and look, I'm, I'm, my parents are from India, so like I know people who got COVID, or I know other people who died in India, and like I know that Ivermectin worked quite well over there, same in Mexico, and like this is a real doctor who's raising real questions. I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry. I think this is a perfectly legitimate line of inquiry and the fact that they're i mean his testimony to the senate was taken off of youtube that's i mean that's insane like you 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 what they did with covid is we we crossed another rubicon and i think this really pertains to your work too around science which is that the politicization of science under covid that ruined a lot and I live in D.C. around all these upper middle class white liberals and like everybody's got the same sign, which is that like in this house, we believe science is real. Oh. Black lives matter. But yeah, whatever. OK. <laughs> and it's like and if I went up to uh, their uh, refugees, welcome, et cetera. So if I were to knock on their door and I'd be like, ma'am, do you believe that there's a greater likelihood than not that the covid coronavirus was released from a Chinese lab or not released was escaped from a Chinese lab. She'd be like, that's a racist theory. And I heard it on Rachel Maddow. It's like, well, you don't believe in science. Like you're not like, it's all aesthetic. It's all aesthetics. And that, yeah, I mean, that, that's like the, I always use that example because it's hilarious and it's true. Everybody knows it's true. Everybody knows somebody with that sign and they understand like what, what it means to say, like, you don't actually believe science is real. And look, I, I don't believe, you know, I'm not like a scientist or whatever, but um, one thing I learned from coronavirus is I don't trust these people at all. You people are all out there flacking for gain of function research. Hell no. Not if it can, you know, possibly create a worldwide pandemic. I'm a citizen. I want to use my government in order to possibly restrict that or at least ask a lot of questions about what we're doing here. There was a quote that I was yeah. looking for on yeah. Twitter. Um, uh, it's from Michael Crichton. Science offers us the only way out of politics. And if we allow science to become politicized, then we are lost. Mm. And I read that last night. Um, and I thought, man, that is great. And that's exactly what you're talking about. That science has become politicized. And that, I fear, is the beginning of really grave days ahead. And I, you're so correct. Like, I see these signs everywhere. It's basically like, okay, I'm a Democrat. I get it. Like, I'm a good you, person. Like, right, right. It's like virtue fine. signaling. Right, like, yeah. you're, and, and that's fine. Like, you have a yeah. right to be Good. that, but it is a virtue yeah. signaling thing. Um, and and it, I, I, I've heard you talk about this, I, I believe. Uh, I don't want to mischaracterize you, but I do think that it is harder for us as Americans to question many of these things because you are then labeled a racist. Yeah, correct. Um, the lab leak, for instance, like, 
you, you can't say that it leaked out of China because that's racist. How is that racist? Like, it's I'm just saying they had a, they potentially had a, a biosafety. Bio yeah, like, like how is that, how is it racist? Like what, and, and but I, something has shifted. And this is the other thing I was gonna say. Do you think that, that some of this may be related to a reaction against the, the person who is Donald Trump? Yeah, that, I think all of it is Trump. All yeah. of it. I think Trump drove people crazy. I, there are two types of people in, in America. He either drove you crazy or you kind of just went on with your life. I was in the latter category. I was able to say, yeah, I mean, there's some things this guy does. Look, I actually met Trump, interviewed him five to four times, I think. Spent like a couple hours with him in the Oval Office. Um, I mean, not the brightest bulb and the, you know, you know he's, he's like a fascinating guy. Like, I, look, I'm really into history. And I took at it, took it like as an anthropological thing of, I'd be like, man, like this guy's the president. Like how often do, you know, somebody like me, I'm like, I get to meet the president, observe him in the oval. And it was really, I kind of took that view of it. Some people are so unable, like they, they would just look at it and be like, oh God, he drives me crazy. Like I hate him so much. And other people do this for liberal politicians. I don't want to let them off the hook, like Nancy Pelosi or whatever. Listen, if, if other people are driving you that crazy, something's wrong with you. But Trump, in particular, had a way of driving everyone so insane that the unthinkable became thinkable, that a lot of presumptions about America, about Americans, about politics, and more made it so that it was—everything was thrown out the window. And that is the most dangerous thing that's happened in modern American politics. And I will make a partisan statement here. I do blame the center-left establishment. And the reason why is they're cowards. They hated Trump so much, they were willing to bring in all this extremism and normalize it around calling other Americans Nazis, calling other Americans racist, making it so the lab leak theory, if Trump says it, then it can't absolutely be true. And that's really damaging because they rule America. They are the ones who have Hollywood and Silicon Valley and the government now and like every major institution in American life, the academy, Etc. And it and it's like a war. I call it the war on normal people. I I borrow that from Andrew Yang, which is that there actually is like a real war against people who know like like old tradition and more. And now all of a sudden, something that you've done your entire life is considered problematic, and you're supposed to change. And it's when you see all this kind of like come together you come to understand that like that being driven crazy was a real cross the Rubicon moment because it also produces an equal and opposite reaction. And I see a lot more anger amongst people who I grew up with. I'm from Texas um, and more people who, do, who are not political, even maybe people like yourself who are like, hey, you know what? Screw this. Like I'm going to get interested now and maybe I'm going to go vote. And that's it's the most powerful force in America is hatred of the liberal intelligentsia. I, I truly believe that. I think still your co-host on Breaking Points is not here, but and we can't speak for her, but mm -hmm. I suspect that she would not disagree with that partisan statement that you just made. No, not at all. Because she's a progressive leftist, right? Like she she's also at war with these people. Like, because that's the thing. If you really want to fight for people who are disenfranchised, not represented in America, then you, you, you can't identify with the people who are. Like, the people who are, like, their whims, they run the economy, they run the banks, they run the media, 
They run Silicon Valley. They run everything. Like it's like they're all the same person, like co little copy and paste versions of each other. And if you really want to stand up for, you know, people who, people who are not represented, then you have to, like any sane person. And like I said, I mean, I think it's the most powerful force in politics, left and right, is hatred of being told what to do, what to think, and more, and not focusing on what our real problems are as Americans. At the risk of seeming partisan with the next statement, I'll just, uh, and I'm tiptoeing like hell on this podcast, okay. <laughs> more than usual. I'll guess. save you, I'll save you. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the risk of, uh, of seeming slightly partisan, I just want to point out and, and ask your opinion on this. From my uneducated perspective, it seems like, and this is a statement that's clearly aimed at corroborating many of the things we've been talking about, that the media leans left. And the media is not giving the same treatment to Trump as, as you know, it's not giving the same treatment to Biden and, and Biden-related things. We talked about the New York Post story with, with Hunter Biden and possible connections to China, now I'm a racist, um, that they did to Trump, right? Like, and I've heard people talk about this. Like, look, it's not about personalities and identities, but when our current president appears to have Alzheimer's, tragically, or, or some sort of dementia, perhaps. Um, can't we all just ask that and say, is this man fit to be leading the country? And as, as a physician, right? Okay, yeah, like right. I'm a fucking doctor, right? Yeah, like right. I've seen people yeah. with Alzheimer's, right? Like I, I've never seen Joe Biden in my clinic. He's not a patient of mine. I can't make a diagnosis over the internet. But it, it triggers a part of my brain after more than a decade of medical education and training, you know, like to say, this man looks like he has dementia. Um, and yet the media doesn't focus on that. The media wants to, 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 to quell those stories, to not, to not focus on them. And then when Trump was president, they just, they I, focused yeah. on every single guy. I was there. So, I, re I remember Sanjay Gupta being like, the doctor's lying. He actually does. And I was like, dude, what, what? Like, now, I, I, had, there, I was in the basement while they were talking about Trump's medical records, and I won't reveal who. A lot of very prominent journalists were like, they're lying to us. These aren't the real medical records. And I was like, what are you, a physician now? I'm like, what do you know about heart disease? Like, you know, like, you're like well, what are you saying? I, look, I agree with you. And I think that the issue, everybody lets himself get gaslight in this town. Like, there was this whole thing during the campaign where they were like, Biden misspeaks because he has a stutter or had a boyhood stutter. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. I saw Joe Biden campaign in 2012, and frankly, not the same guy. Statement of fact, I saw him up close with my own two eyes at a rally in Philadelphia, and I want to give them credit. The guy's actually really good. Whenever he was in his prime, he was a good politician, actually, at rallying votes. Good in interviews. He seemed more cogent as of, like, 2016, whenever he was the vice president. Something happened, so he miraculously redeveloped a stutter in the span of like three years. Okay, um, and 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 like I said, the discussion is fine. I actually think it's okay. Um, and you know, it, I in general I err on the side of an adversarial press. It did annoy me whenever the press did that, but I do think having an adversarial press is important. But it's like you said, if we were to even ask the question about Biden or or, or any of that, it's considered impolite. It's considered 
Like, uh, and here's the other thing. The White House press will just cut off your access. If you were to do that, they'd be like, you're done. We're absolutely done with you. We're never talking to you again. And then you can't do your job. Another example is like Dianne Feinstein. She's 92 years old. There are stories out there of Senator Chuck Schumer, who's the Democratic majority leader, having to be like, Diane, I need you to step down from the chairwoman. And then she would forget, and he would have to do I'm like, what? she's a senator from California. There are 55 million people who live in California who deserve a real representative in the United States Senate. Look, I love California. I know they have a lot of problems. Um, I've only visited. It is beautiful. They have a lot of problems, though, and they need a senator. Remember, there's only two. One of them apparently has Alzheimer's or late stage, whatever. Like, I think that's disgraceful. So it's not just about Biden. It's like all politics. We should be able to say, these people are really old. And people get mad at me whenever I say this. I did an entire monologue on it. Joe Biden is 78, I think. Nancy Pelosi is 79. Um, no, I think she's 80. And Mitch McConnell is 78. Like, and I think Schumer is the youngest one. And he's 70. Like, I don't know. I mean, look. We're, we're a young country. Like, the ethos and the blood and the energy are people who are our age, you know, between 30 and 45, something like that. Like, and these are the people who are representative. And look, I'm not disrespecting my elders or whatever. I'm just pointing out, like, we live in a gerontocracy. Like, if you bet on the actuari actuarial tables, it's not looking too good at the very top of our government. And nobody wants to say it because it's impolite. And it's like, listen, like, this is real stuff. Like, like this is the president, or this is the speaker, or this is the Senate majority leader. And it's considered just so taboo to even point it out. And I'm not criticizing liberal politics. And, I'm, yeah. and, and we are both acknowledging that Trump had so many flaws. Oh, and, and, and they were clearly, wildly, uh, fiercely pointed out by the media. And to me, it just seems like no matter what side of the partisan politics you sit on, you must see the difference here and you yeah. must realize there is an inconsistency and what does this say about the system and more importantly what does this say about the veracity of the information that we are being given and i love that you brought this up earlier jeff bezos owns the washington post who owns the new york times like yeah. uh the i don't know family the right, right? family yeah. okay and then like who owns CNN? I, I tweeted about this the other day. Um, I've been on a Twitter Time tear recently. Warner? Time Warner? Yeah. Time I, 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 which means I tweeted like six times in the last two days. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a tweet storm for me. Uh -huh. um, and uh, and it's, I was just thinking like in medicine, when you do a study, you have to disclose conflicts of interest yes. and say, you know, I did this study on this and I'm funded by this group and this could be a conflict of interest, or this study was funded by the, the broccoli lobby, right? Whatever. And I just said, on Twitter, I said, when, when the media, when social media platforms, whether it's Twitter or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, censors a post, are they required to disclose a conflict of interest? and say, actually, you know, we're going to censor your post, but we're funded by these people. So there's probably a, con like, it just seems to me to be a double standard. Like, you know, yep. you know, Instagram, YouTube is censoring Brett Weinstein 
and Pierre Corey's conversation about ivermectin. They're not required to disclose, hey, you know, we receive X amount of funding from Big Pharma or from Merck, who actually holds a patent or held the patent previously on ivermectin. Uh, it's off patent now. And it's developing another drug for COVID. Like, we're going to censor this, but there's a potential conflict of interest here. Just so you know, maybe, you know, just so we're, we're totally uh, transparent. But that doesn't happen in social media. Is this a double standard? Yeah, of course it is. And, and Bezos is the, that is the one where, it's like kind of nuts. He's the world's richest man who owns the second largest newspaper. I'll give you a good example. This recently, I read this story in the Washington Post about from a Capitol Hill reporter about some exchanges that were happening in this bill. And it turned out, buried 17 paragraphs down, that the senator from Washington, her name is Maria Cantwell, rewrote an amendment to make it so that Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' space company, was going to get a 10 billion dollar appropriation from the government. So I'm like, hold on a second. This is obviously the headline. Bezos, of who's based in Washington, gets his senator to write a $10 billion appropriation into, for his shitty space company into the United States Senate amendment. Like, that's nuts. And the post is just like machinations on Capitol Hill or something. I'm like, Yo, I'm like, this is totally nuts. You know, another story just came out. I read it in Politico. And it was, while Bezos says he supports higher corporate tax rate, Amazon has been lobbying hardcore against it. Why didn't they cover in Politico? I mean, in Washington Post. I didn't read a story about that yet. I would love to. Um, and they, they can claim all they want that, that they had, don't have a conflict of interest. There's a, I, I have many examples on this. I'll, the last one. But I thought this was the most important. There was this thing in D.C., this contract called the JEDI contract. It was a $10 billion contract um, for cloud computing by the Pentagon. And everybody wants this contract. Microsoft, Oracle, Amazon, all these people. So Microsoft gets a contract. And then Amazon sues, being like, no, this is BS, like political interference from Trump, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Pentagon just canceled that contract to Microsoft. And now they're going to split it up into two and give Microsoft $5 billion and Amazon $5 billion. You know who reported a lot about the Jedi contract? The Washington Post. So, like, listen, once again, did he tell them to do it? I don't know. Maybe not. Did it help him? Yeah. It helped a lot. You know, $230 million he paid for the Washington Post, $10 billion con or $5 billion contract from the government, pays itself 10 times over. And it's like you start to see these things over and over again, and you're like, oh, I see what's going on. Like, Bezos has the, his largest house in D.C. He, he bought three houses and put them all together. Uh, I've walked past it a couple times. And, like, it's like the party salon. And, you, you know, you'll read about it. People, they're so open. They brag about it, about all the political elite. They come and, you know, kiss the ring of Bezos. And it's like, oh, you do that. And, like, he'll introduce you to the new editor of the Washington Post. These are very valuable connections. So, look, $230 million is nothing for the amount of political influence that he bought in D.C. I can't even begin to, to explain to people what it means to have that level of social cachet. It's worth billions, like billions with a B, hundreds of billions possibly, in the long term, in terms of his influence on our politics. And yet, even though I have a very limited understanding of monopoly law, this is yeah. not illegal. No, <laughs> there's there's not there's no there's no yeah. law that says you can't own Amazon yeah. and and 
one of the major news media outlets in the country that is going to cover all the stories that are related to it. And like, there's no law that says that. Like 2021, like the world is different than the founding fathers. This is not, yeah. this is not the constitution. And yet this appears to me, you would think intuitively, maybe you shouldn't be able to do that, right? But this doesn't well, maybe, violate any laws. There. Maybe not even that. Let's talk about it. Let, let's just talk about it. Why yeah. am I a crank for talking about it? Yeah. Um, and they get this. This is the thing that I'll say that makes these people so mad because I'm saying the game. They're like, this is outrageous. Jeff Bezos never once told me to write anything. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, OK, that's fine. Maybe that's true. Um, are you ever going to go out of your way to do an investigative piece on Jeff Bezos? No. And we all know it. Just say it. Say it. And then we'll never say it. They'll pretend that they are the paragons of journalistic integrity when we all know they're compromised. And you know what? Like we were talking about earlier, these are human beings. They need to pay their mortgages. I get it. But be upfront. Just be like, yeah, look, Bezos owns me. It's true. He's your boss. Say it. Everybody knows who their boss is. When I was in corporate media, I knew who my boss was. Everybody always knows. There are lines you can't cross. There are lines you can. Now that I'm independent, I can say whatever the hell I want. Um, but previously, look, if you think that there's not stuff in the back where people say, hey, you know, so-and-so, and this is how it always works. Nobody tells you not to do anything. They're like, hey, just so you know, this could be a problem. Or if that's in your head, you'd be lying if you didn't think about it. And that's the whole industry. What's the saying? I'm going to paraphrase this and butcher it. Yeah. Um, a man's ability to speak the truth is, you know, inversely related to, to his the wallet or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's the way yeah. it affects his salary. Like this right. is fundamental human psychology. If you speak something and you know that it is going to affect your ability to care for your children, to provide for your family, to live in a house, you're not going to say it. That's yep. just human nature. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, I don't believe It's you. just, it's a, it like, everybody is just trying to provide for themselves and their family and, and do right exactly. by the people that they feel are most important in their lives, but it's a shitty system. And we just need mm -hmm. to acknowledge that and understand that if we believe we're getting unbiased information, we're wrong. Um, can we talk about the lab leak? Cause I loved Please. your explanation of this and uh, on Rogan. And, and I think that my audience will, would love to hear about this. Like, just walk us through this with the Fauci emails and, and Dazak and all this stuff. And, I think that this will be a really interesting thing for people to hear about. And it'll probably get me censored on YouTube, so No, no, fuck no. I've, I've, I've done it many times, uh, so I know that they won't censor this one at least. We'll okay. Start from the, we'll start from the very beginning. Um, January of 2020, Wuhan, the World Health Organization is lying, saying that the Chinese have told them that there's no evidence of human-to-human -human transmission, all of that. So the Chinese have already lied. The World Health Organization's already been beclowned. But we have the virus and we're having a sequence in the genome. We know that on January 31st, Fauci of 2020, Fauci received an email from, I forget his name, um, from a prominent doctor who becomes important later on in the story, saying that the virus is not consistent with evolutionary theory. Okay, that's what we know. There's an email right there. He says, January 31st, 2020, this looks not natural in terms of uh, a layman's explanation. Then, February 15th, 17th, I forget the exact date, Tom Cotton goes on Fox News with Maria Bartriomo, and he says there's a possibility that this came from the Wuhan lab. That's it. That's all he said. What happened is the media 
freaks out. They're saying Tom Cotton is floating a debunked conspiracy theory that the Chinese government weaponized the Wuhan virus and sent it to America. So they debunked the idea that the virus itself was weaponized. They think. In the process, though, they say that the virus has been shown not to have come from the lab whatsoever. So this becomes the marker. It was February of 2020. Then, end of March, April, and all, or sorry, early March, April, Secretary Pompeo, the Secretary of State, and Trump both come out and say, it looks like that it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And people forget this. Fox News, Brett Baer, reports exactly in March of 2020, the intelligence community has seen evidence and believes that the virus came from the lab. And that's it. The moment Trump said it, like I was saying, it broke everybody's brain. This is when the scientists become corrupted themselves. The same doctor who emailed Dr. Fauci and said that the virus was not consistent with evolutionary theory becomes the ringleader of the infamous Lancet article in the medical journal saying that we believe there is no evidence whatsoever that this virus escaped from the lab and it uh, is of natural origin. This becomes picked up because he's a close friend of Dr. Fauci, who in May of 2020 says the same thing in an interview with National Geographic. That becomes the main thing that people cling to and say, Dr. Fauci and the Lancet and the entire medical community believes that this is of natural origin. And that's when people start getting taken off of social media. Zero Hedge, who has a pop, uh, account of like 700,000, he was taken off. For months, he was taken off for talking about the Tom Cotton lab leak theory in February. And all of this at the same time becomes conflated by the media as not only debunked, but with the idea that it's racist, that it's racist to say that it's a lab leak theory because it blames China, and actually the only person we should be blaming in this is Trump because he's not doing a good enough job during the pandemic. These are not mutually exclusive. I think Trump did a terrible job on the pandemic, not necessarily on policy, in terms of which leader takes a national crisis and is like, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna split everybody apart. I don't think we've literally ever had a president who did that, and I blame him 100%. Um, all of that being said, it doesn't make the facts different, which is that we had a lab in Wuhan which was conducting gain-of-function research, which has led to lab accidents before, which happened to be working on the exact same type of coronavirus that coronavirus looks like. Now we know, November 2019, that three of the workers there got sick, including some guy's wife. So you're like, okay. And what really breaks everything apart is, when were you allowed to talk about this? When Trump was gone. That's really what it was. It's like, as the evidence continued to mount, all of the evidence that you needed, everything that I, everything you can see in the open source domain right now was available in May of 2020, when Brett Weinstein went on Joe Rogan's podcast and broke it all down. It was all there. You just weren't allowed to discuss it until, basically, Trump was gone. And the real thing is, and this is where the money comes in, remember this. Dr. Fauci is the main purveyor of funds from the U.S. government, the NIAD, to all of these different scientific granting institutions. He's the conduit. He decides who gets the money and who doesn't get the money. This is really important because gain-of-function research is a $100 million a year industry. And this is where Dr. Peter Daszak comes in, which is that Fauci and Peter Daszak and many of the other people in the quote-unquote scientific community 
they realize they're like, oh man, this thing we've been funding, which was supposed to prevent pandemics, that may have caused the next, this pandemic. They're like, this is terrible. Trump is the best thing that ever happened to them because they could say it's racist, it's been debunked, whatever. In reality, what had happened is that Fauci, you know, funneled hundreds of thousands of dollars to this guy, EcoHealth Alliance, Dr. Peter Daszak, he's a dual citizen, English and American, who then gave it to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So in my opinion, this is all a long way of saying this, which is that if the lab leak theory is true, I don't know 100% yet, but I would say it probably is true, then what does that tell us? It's not just the Chinese government who covered it up. The US government is complicit in funding this thing. And not only that, we have not had a comprehensive conversation around whether we want to continue to fund this type of research. And everything that has come out since with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Peter Daszak and more has shown that they were lying when they told us that it was of natural origin in May of 2020, that they have major financial interests in making sure that, uh, that this does not come to light around definitively saying that the pandemic was caused by gain of function or not. And I'll end with this. What do you think the response from the scientific community has been around gain of function research? It's to, to do 10 times more with this new thing called the Global Virome Project, $1.2 billion throwing more at the research. So I hope the timeline was important. I, I want to, I want to, I know it took a while, but I want to lay it out for people. It, it started, it became crazy because of Trump. But whenever you look underneath the surface, there was a major financial interest for the scientific community to come to the conclusion that it's not from the lab because that protects their research dollars. If we stop funding gain of function research, that's a lot of labs that are out of a job. And I said this before, and you probably know about this from medicine. My parents are professors at A&M. So I get that when you're in a tenured position or whatever, part of your job is about your ability to bring in scientific granting dollars. That's like a big element of it. And so if you lose this money train, which is what would happen if we understand what happens from gain of function, then you're going to lose, you could lose your job, you could lose your lab, you could lose your tenure. There's a lot of money at stake here. And I think when you put all that together, frankly, I think it's one of the greatest cover-ups in modern American history. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say. I think it is as big of a story as Iraq WMD. And even then, it was hot for a while. Now it's faded out. It's just like Iraq. I mean, remember in 2005 when everyone was like, oh yeah, I guess we just never found any of those WMD. It's like, wait, what? Like, we invaded a whole country. Like, wh what is happening? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think it was Donnie Vincent yeah. on Rogan recently who said politicians never admit they're wrong. They just wait for people to forget. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I thought that was so, so true and so scary and so sad that, that nobody's ever going to take responsibility for any of this stuff. And early on in the pandemic, I was living in San Diego and I was talking to my friend Ivor Cummins, who's amazing, uh, and he was doing some incredible uh, scientific analysis. He's an engineer. He thinks about things so precisely. And, and, you know, for me, it just seemed like a lot of decisions were being made that as Michael Crichton said, the worst thing happened, science yeah. became politicized and politicians were making decisions on science to make themselves look better. And there yep. was invisible blood on their hands and no one will ever hold those politicians accountable for lives lost because of poor decisions made for lockdowns and all this other crazy shit that we did that no one will ever be held accountable for. And I fear that you're right, that I don't know if you're insinuating this, but in my mind, I'm insinuating this, that, uh, that, that no one will ever be held accountable for this, that politicians will just wait for people to forget about what happened with Fauci and the gain of function research and all these people who probably 
were complicit, were involved in the the worst pandemic in the last 50, you know, years, 70 years. years. I think 100 years, right? 100 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, since the early 1900s. Yeah. And, and nobody's going to own up to it. And we're just going to go on and, and nobody's going to own up to it. And the, and the reason, this is the reason we're having this podcast. I fear that part of the reason no one will ever own up to this is because of the system, because of the informational system, because of the news media outlets that are owned, because of the prevailing uh, ideologies that are behind the news media outlets that will silence these stories and that will never, the American public will never know about these things. And, and that's a shame, you know, because yeah. I've, I've, I've said this a few times also, and, and I'm sure people have said this, you know, who is writing our history now? They say, history is written by the victors. Well, I think history is written by fucking social media these days and corporate <laughs> giants and Amazon and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and, and, and social media. And I just want to say that though, though Twitter has fucked up in the past. I think that, that Jack Dorsey is a good human and, and is trying to do right. Um, I think so I too. I can't speak I for so Mark Zuckerberg too. though. <laughs> and I, don't I don't know anything. Jack, I don't know Jack about is a figure who probably agrees with us more than anything. But Frank, and look, Jack, if you're listening, I think it's pretty obvious you're not 100% full, fully in control of your company. I think you know that. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's what's happening. But I do think that, and I just want to make that distinction because um, the, and, and I don't think Twitter's been perfect, but I, of all the social media outlets, they're the ones, I think at the behest of Jack, primarily, who are doing the most to combat this. And so I want to give you know, Twitter its due in that respect. They're developing Blue Sky, which is a decentralized mm -hmm. platform. There's a nonprofit around Blue Sky. It will not be owned by Twitter. It will be completely advertiser-free. And, and you know, I, I just feel like from what I've heard Jack say on other podcasts when, when he's spoken out about this, I think he's gently, as politically, said the exact same thing that you're suggesting, that, yep. that though Jack Dorsey is the CEO of Twitter, he, he's not able to make the decisions that he would choose for that company because of, of Wall Street interests. But can the CEO who answers to a board of shareholders actually say that like as gently as possible? Like he's in a tough position. Like can we yeah, just admit no, I that, feel for him too. That, that Jack Dorsey is in a tough position? So I just want to give that... that mm -hmm point of opinion that I have about Twitter. Uh, not perfect, but doing what I um, And just to say that, that I fear that none of these stories will be known by our children and our children's children because of the way they're being written today in, in history. And that is, that is sad. And I think that you and Crystal are a part of undoing that. And that's amazing. So big Thank props you, to you guys. You are too. No, look, I, I, at the end of the day, I believe in this medium. I believe in getting the word out. Yes, at scale, we're not winning. Nobody wins at scale at first. Who knows what the future holds? I have faith. Uh, if, if, if I had a friend who made a lot of money. He says, I bet on charts. The chart that I bet my livelihood on was trust in the mainstream media. <laughs> that was it. And I would, try, I, I would bet the hell out of that chart as we continue to go forward in the country. And can we just say that you beat the pants off the New York Times podcast week <laughs> over week right now? Can we just say that? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't like to brag, but... No, yeah, I'm going to brag one. for you. You're not yeah, bragging. Yeah. I brought it yeah, up. Yeah, we we're number one political podcast in the country. Beat the New York Times on Spotify. Beat the New York Times on Apple. I mean, people are hungry. People are... I, I said this recently. Some, a corporate media outlet asked me, why do you think it worked? And I'm glad they used my quote. I said, uh, people are hungry for information, just not the information the corporate media is trained to tell you. I love it, man. I love yeah. it. So I have two questions before we wrap up. Great. Um, Number one is, what does the White House basement look like? Are there like pictures of Rocky on the wall? Dump. 
or Arnold no. Schwarzenegger? Like, is it like a no. boys club? Do you guys have weights down there? Like, no, is it no, is no. it the basement it's of my library so for medical cramped. school? It's horrible. It's super cramped. Uh, the hallways flood whenever it rains. Um, <laughs> there are these tiny little booths. There's no light down there. Uh, everybody's crammed in these little desks, and you get assigned a desk, and you're typing stories like this. There's also no cell service, which used to drive me. Can you imagine journalists not having cell service? Like, what kind of shows this? I could go on forever about how much I hate the White House and how much I work hate working there. It's actually a very dank and gross building. The only nice part is the Oval Office. That's it. To the workers outside of my house. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. But I have five minutes left of recording, okay, all right. <laughs> and then and then they can then they, then they can actually saw right. the beams for a, yeah, a deck yeah. I'm, I'm building. I'm, this That's is awesome. real podcasting, folks. So what you're saying? I recently did a podcast with my buddy Evan Brand on mold. What you're saying okay. is that everybody in the in the White House is exposed to mold, is exposed oh, yes. to mold, yes. mold toxins, which might explain a lot about how healthy people are. Yeah, I never like, thought the about whole, that. That's actually the whole yeah, if the whole freaking basement floods, then everyone in the White House is exposed to It doesn't just flood once. It floods all the time. Like, while oh we were there, I was like, this is insane. Like, there's, what is happening? This is the White House. It doesn't matter. That place is the most repulsive. I hope people could see it. It's repulsive. Like, actually repulsive to work And there. the second thing I wanted to ask you is, what's your diet like these days? Because you and I connected uh, previously, and I wanted to hear about what you're eating, and I'm just curious yes. how I it's mean, going. I mean, I, uh, I use the Rogan term, animal-based. Um, Amazing. So I try to eat an animal-based diet. Um, and so based upon a lot, especially on your podcast, that's really what your, your podcast with Rogan is really what gave me the kick in the ass. And I've actually been reading a lot of books about like native Americans and like, uh, hunter gatherer tribes. I have like a real fascination with their mental health and like their physical health and more. So for me, um, every day I'm not full carnivore. Uh, I wish I could be, I think my girlfriend would kill me if I did. Um, but Working my way up there, I try to eat basically predominantly grass-fed either eggs or red meat. And I eat that's pretty much all I eat with some accoutrement of like berries, avocado, that type of thing. But that's the vast majority of the calories that I put into my body, grass-fed organic red meat. I'm not full carnivore, quote-unquote, either. Yeah. You know, I've, <clears throat> I eat exactly like you eat. Now, the important point to consider here is with that change, did you feel differently? Un, un, insanely. So I actually think I told you this. I grew up vegetarian. And so, and I also used to weigh 100 pounds more than I currently did. And so being vegetarian in America is terrible. I think in India, where my parents are from, it makes more sense. Like lentils, rice, no processed foods. But like here, it, it was like pizza, sandwiches, right? So like my nutrition, my inability. I look, I don't blame them. It was more like, you know, you, it's like society, what we were talking about. A Subway veggie sandwich. That's healthy, right? No, actually, that's terrible for you. Like, what? It's full of sauce and bread and all this stuff. And I remember, I mean, I started eating meat, I would say, like, six, seven years ago. I didn't really make the red meat jump, as in the predominance of my diet was red meat until about a year ago. It changed everything. I feel so... So, and every time I've fallen off the wagon in times of stress, when you reach for processed food and more, you just feel like shit. You feel like total shit. If you can get your nutrition and your exercise dialed in, and if you make it so that 90% of the calories that you're putting in your body is grass-fed, organic red meat, you feel incredible. I, I cannot 
even describe it. I even started, um, I went online and I just bought a bunch of like rare meat, like elk meat and stuff like that. I love it, man. Like I, uh, my girlfriend actually bought me a water buffalo steak, organic water buffalo. It was incredible. I remember eating that and it just felt like this connection. And I don't know. I mean, I think a lot about like, you have to think about the lives the animal lives, the connections you can have with it in terms of what's being imparted unto you. And you, you think about like wild, majestic beasts um, and more, and then your ability to like, to, you are what you eat. I mean, I know it's a, it's a very like, it's a very hokey thing, um, but a lot of your work really helped me with that. And so that's pretty much all I eat these days is just grass-fed, organic red meat um, in any form, either steak, ground beef, burger, whatever, side of avocado, some berries. That's, I'm happiest whenever that's what I'm eating. You getting some organs in there? Uh, so I take your supplements. Uh, that's how I do it. I here's the thing: because I grew up vegetarian, I still have squeamishness around bones and around it's the organs, man. I, I just I haven't tried like liver or heart. The other day I was at the farmers market and they had beef heart, and I was like, ah, should I do it? I was like, I don't know how to prepare this thing, and I was like, I was too scared. I was like, no, I was like, I can't. I was like, I can't do it yet. But that's why we make them, you know? Yeah, like, no, that's, it's true. Yeah, and that's it's, that's it's why, helpful. Right. And that's amazing. That's awesome yeah. to hear. So if anyone listens to your show, they will see that the proof is in the pudding, that your mind works very well, that you're very sharp and very eloquent and very articulate. And I'm so grateful for the work you do. And so how can people support you? Where can they find your stuff? Sure. How can we, you know, if people want to vote, quote unquote, with their dollars or with their time or with their attention and find a media outlet like yours that is not controlled by Jeff Bezos or the corporate, where can they do that, brother? Uh, so breakingpoints.com, um, that's where you guys can support us. If you want to, you can become a premium member. If not, no worries whatsoever. We're on YouTube, we're on podcast, Breaking Points of Crystal and Sager, same thing um, over on YouTube. Subscribe, just check us out. You know, we put all of our stuff out in clips. It's not a big commitment, you know. Uh, you wanna watch an eight minute clip on this topic, 10 minute clip on that topic. Instagram, Twitter, all of that. I'm just at eSager if you want to check that out. I love it. And I listen to you on Apple Podcasts all the time. It's, there you go. Like I said, I've never been someone that thinks about politics, but I cannot ignore it any longer because it affects the work that I do. Um, and, and I so appreciate what you guys do. So thank you for coming on the podcast, my man. Thank, thank you, man. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I just want people to know there I'm a huge supporter of Paul, um, of his work. I think he's really making people healthier. And it's like... I, I spread the gospel. People think I'm kind of crazy, but then they see how good I feel, and they're like, oh, maybe I'll check out some of this meat stuff. So Proof is in the pudding, go. man. There you Proof go. The exactly. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.